Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City of Chronicles is a Bay of Chronicles production. Hey everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the City of Chronicles Q&A podcast dropping into your inbox hopefully on a Friday. It's me, Nikki Bandini, here alongside Mina Rizuki uh, to answer your questions on all things Seria. Ah, Mina, I'm going to throw straight into you with um, a question we got this week from Sanat Talma. Sanat is very on it with questions, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I like thank them. you for these questions, Sanat. Yeah. We, we're definitely not giving anyone favoritism we just we've we've thought this was an interesting question to to answer so thank you for the question Sanat. Sanat asks I can't help but think the real reason why Intel are so well positioned is Marotta. The team would have would have imploded with anyone else at the home helm this summer. Do you think Mina the CEO is even more important than the coach in modern day football? I don't think he is more important than the coach, but I would say that I would divide it evenly um, between coach and management team as a whole. I think that it's important to have a great scout. um, And I think it's important to have somebody who is in charge of finances and in in charge of strategic planning. And that means that there's always a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, because things happen and you need to be prepared. So if a certain coach is not going the way that you imagine to, or he decides to leave or something happens and your plans are dumped out of the window, then we have to make sure that you have a backup to all of that and you have good ideas and you know how to negotiate so that the balances are all in check and that you're not overextended. And I think that Juventus certainly saw the difference when they had Marotta in charge and then decided to think big and give it to, well, I guess, you know, Nedved and Paratici. 
And things started to change because on a financial level, obviously, they were not as well equipped as Marotta in handling the finances and ensuring everything was well balanced. Juventus have been overextended, but I don't want to just blame them because there was a pandemic. But I think in general, it's about there's so much. With Marotta, I want to explain that when he does bring in players, he negotiates so well on a financial level. He actually interviews the players and, and tries to have a chat with them or get somebody to chat with them and ask them keen questions, you know, like what they like to do in their spare time, what their attitude's like, what their character's like. He's very good at that because he understands that a team is built on good men as well as good good players. And he looks to rid the dressing room of, of bad bad juju, bad energy. And I think that was one of his important tasks when he arrived in Inter because I think Spalletti really suffered with some of the dressing room disharmony um, when they had Mauro Icardi and Candreva was upset and Perisic wasn't happy and there was lots of drama within that dressing room. Nangolan was there. And then slowly, slowly, he started to create, let's say, just more harmony, brought in a coach that he felt attacked the, the problem that Inter had, which was on a psychological level. And moving on on a tactical level, he was like, okay, I'm not going to find anyone like Antonio Conte. So what can we do better here? You know, go for either Allegri or Inzaghi. And he makes good decisions because he strategizes. He spends a lot of time thinking of a plan B and a plan C. And if you wonder how important that is, a lot of what PSG are going through is not because they don't have a good manager or good players. It's because they don't have a good management team. And what makes it worse as well is when you have a man in charge, such as, say, Leonardo right now, who is arguing with everyone and argued with previous coaches and is seemingly the man that everyone is is worried about having to work with should they accept the PSG coaching job. So I think that has a huge, let's say it has a huge uh, impact on your club to have a good director. But I don't think it's just having a good CEO, it's having a good management in general you know, ownership that doesn't meddle or try to impose how it is that they want the team to play, which I think happens in certain clubs that want to only play 4-3-3 or want to play with three of their best strikers or whatever it is. It is about knowing what your limits are. It's about sharing the duties and understanding who gets to make certain decisions and allowing those people to make that decision. It's about having, for example, a Milan, Maldini, who's there, who talks to the youngsters, um, and then Gazidis, who's there, who takes care of the finances. And there's a genuine harmony there. There's an understanding of who deals with what. And the players feel protected. The coach feels protected. And there is a genuine respect being shown to every member. So it's not about having just one great manager or one great coach. It's about a team that is in unison and that works well together. Jose Mourinho really enjoyed working with with Branca, his sporting director, and trusted his choices when he chose, for example, Lucio to come in as a, as a defender. And Marotta and Paratici had a, a wonderful working relationship once upon a time because one of them understood the, the sporting level and how to scout great players, and the other understood the other side of it, which was the finances involved, the man involved behind the talent, you know. And you need to create that on every level within the dressing room and upstairs in the, in the, in the management level too. So I would say just as important. Yeah, I, I think I agree with most of what you just said there. I mean, maybe all of what you just said just there. I, mean, <laughs> um, I, um, I, I think it's a really important like point about it's not just what, about one individual because actually this idea of, of a CEO for the sort of football area, I think that's quite new, isn't it? Like mm. a lot of teams don't even necessarily have that role. Um, we've gone from having sporting directors and football directors to this sort of 
extra um uh, the bigger clubs you've seen this sort of carving out of CEO roles, sometimes even more than one CEO role with one with responsibility for the football area and one for other areas. And it's um the, the language and the terminology of it can vary from one club to another. And for instance, at Milan, you've got Ivan Gazidis, who's the um, CEO and, and has a, a very important role there. But I think you could say that Paolo Maldini, who's the technical director, has had a really um, prominent role in, in terms of just helping the, the, the club to find a new direction, actually. I think the club was rudderless for quite a long time post Silvio Berlusconi, partly because you have, um, in one case, just an absolute chance of coming in and taking <laughs> over the club from what it seemed like. But um, for sure, having a, a directorial team who are all on the same page, I think often you see the best ones do find that blend of of business people and football people and bring them together. Sometimes, again, in, in, in Maldini's case, someone who's got like a, a history with the club can be helpful, but it doesn't need to be that. You just really need to have, however you structure it, people with clear responsibilities and an ability to work together and and collaborate on things. But I think that, funnily enough, that idea of the importance of directors is is much more sort of long-standing and, and long accepted in Italy than it is in, yes. in some other countries, certainly than England. Mm. Because in England, certainly I grew up, Mina, with this idea of like the, I suppose the the prototypical manager, the best manager in in England was Sir Alex Ferguson, who did everything and was this overarching power figure who drove so much of, of Manchester United's identity as a club. Whereas in Italy, it's, it's even sort of in the language, the, the, the word that is most often used to describe uh, an Italian football manager is allenatore. Allenatore literally means trainer. So your job is to train and someone else will worry about big ideas and strategy. And look, that varies from club to club. And, and there are clubs that give their managers more, like Gasparini has always been within Italy. The Italian Ferguson, in fact, has been one of his, his nicknames and he gets more sort of close control there. But yeah, to bring it back to, to the example of Milan, Pioli, when you talk to him, he talks very specifically about what his, his job is, or at least he told me this when when I had the, the opportunity to sit, sit down with him recently. He has this very specific idea of his job as a man manager. And even within management, he's got people who are helping him with parts of it. So he's got analysts who help him with tactics, who help him to see the right sort of formations on the pitch. His job is man training, individual training. And I think that... Um, nowadays is actually quite common all across European football because it turns out that all these jobs are very important, complicated jobs and having individual people to do them well um, who can do their area well makes a big difference. And there's no question in my mind to sort of answer the specifics of Sanat's question. There's no question in my mind that Marotta is a huge part of the Inter success story um, over the last two years. And of course, Part of that also ties to, while they were there together, his personal relationship with Antonio Conte, because they did have a working relationship going back to their time at Juventus and those dynamics worked. Actually, actually that's a great point. It's also what they can do to attract a great coach. As in, yeah. you if you are PSG, obviously you're probably going to attract a great coach because you have Messi and Neymar and Mbappe and all of that. But say you're just a regular team who has some stars, but not necessarily all of them. A good management on board with good directors and, and, and men that you want to work with, or hopefully women as well, then 
it actually allows you to bring in the best. And some of them will feel like this is a good unit I can work with. And I feel there's an organization there. I don't feel like it's all on my, on my shoulders to create and do everything. There are somebody who want, there are some people who want to do it all, but I think that it can attract some of the best, you know, it is personal relationships. It is knowing when Fabio Capello told Antonio Conte, when you leave Juventus, you're not necessarily going to have that kind of support from everywhere else. He didn't find that same support in England. He did find it once again at Inter because of obviously Marotta. And I think it's important when you are trying to go for some of the best coaches out there, because that's one thing that Pochettino really loved about Juventus. Chose PSG. Well, let's just say Juventus chose Allegri, but these things matter. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, just to name what you just said as well, Mina, directors and managers, there's no way that Antonio Cotton, Conte is manager of Tottenham right now without Fabio Paratici being there. So exactly what you said with Morata, managers will sometimes only take a job because they want to work with someone. And that, that in itself is already a, a really important thing. Yeah, they were best friends. Okay, let's move on to the next question. And this comes from Vitas Carosella in upstate New York. And he posted this via SariaChronicles.com. So use the website. Hi, Mina and Nikki. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I was wondering what you think the FIGC and Serie A could do to help Southern clubs and academies become more competitive. Napoli and Salernitana and Cagliari, if you count them, are the only representation for the South. And most of the best players from the South end up in the North anyway. How can this be remedied? Tough question. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a really interesting question for Vitas to ask because I, I feel like the perspective that Vitas has brought to this, uh, maybe like the there's a clue in, in the upstate New York that because in America you see sport, um, certainly like major league professional sport is is often operated in a much more centralized way. So of course, uh, sports like um, uh, the NBA or leagues like the NBA and the NFL have uh, drafts and, and they're bringing in talent in this sort of, um, I guess, collaborative way between the, the different clubs where there's a, a set of rules about who you can bring in and, and they have a sort of differently in different sports, but they have a, a, a structure set up, not all through their own means, some of it's through the college system, through the high school system, or for sports like baseball, it's the minor league system. They have systems for for developing young talent that are, um, I guess, common to all the different clubs competing at, at the highest level. Whereas I think uh, European football in general doesn't work like that. Clubs are private entities that are working entirely on, on their own basis. And you have to think in terms of what Serie A can do to help. It's not Serie A's job to help because Serie A, in theory, could be doing with a different, um, dealing with a different set of clubs every year, right? In theory, anyone can get relegation. Anyone cannot be there next season. Is it the Italian Football Federation's responsibility? A bit more because the Italian Football Federation has an interest in talent all across the country being developed and becoming Italian talent. But still, ultimately, what this comes down to is the responsibility falling with individual clubs. Um, it's certainly a, a valid point that Vitesse raises that there's a huge amount of talent in southern Italy. Uh, it's I think a city like Naples continues to be one of the absolute hotbeds of, of young talent in Italy. And very often it is clubs from the north that are doing very effective scouting down there and, and grabbing kids before they uh, sign up for, for the local clubs. And 
it's it's actually a really fascinating thing. I feel like I've had this conversation with with a bunch of different players about like how difficult that move was as a teenager to go so far away from your family, to go all the way up north and and to, to make that journey as a kid and, and leave you behind. And this is where I think football reality collides with just social reality and and um economic reality, which is I think the the flip side of that coin is you you do hear this story quite often of of kids from poor families and and their families essentially seeing that that move north as as being a an economic good as being a chance to get them away from uh perhaps bad influences that that could exist locally there is still um an element that you hear about again often speaking to footballers uh, who grew up in the, in the tougher neighborhoods in the south that they would see things um, gang-related violence really sort of prominently and you think you take them away from any friends they might have made at school who got caught up in that, you take them out of it completely. It becomes something that even parents are thinking about in that situation, which is really complicated to unpick. That's not anything that any football club can, can undo, let alone anything that um, that you could expect the, the football federation to do. Although, yeah, we can talk about positive football initiatives such as um the the Italian Football Federation when Prandelli was in charge making a big point of uh going to train with the national team on pitches reclaimed from the Camorra and things like that. There are things you can do as sort of, I guess, um public image steps you can take. But in the end, short of other clubs agreeing to in some way subsidize clubs from the South, you have to leave responsibility to the clubs to do their own academies, to take charge of their own things, the steps that they can take to 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 develop young talent. And and look, there are there are clubs that do that better than others. I mean, Napoli are, for all of Aurelio De Laurentiis' foibles, they've been one of the better run clubs financially and economically in Serie A the, the last few years. And part of that is because they do develop talent in-house. Um, but I think that Again, the the reality is it's more difficult for clubs in the South to do it because in general, they don't have the economic foundations of the big clubs in the North. And that's because the big clubs in the North are situated in economically um, more prosperous cities with more sponsors who are willing to put into the club, more infrastructure that allows them to run academies with all of the, the, the modern setup that you want to be a top level club nowadays. and not in all cases, but I think this disparity is also increasingly being seen. Better stadiums all over the country, that remains a big issue. Lots of clubs still haven't got their own proprietary stadiums, but where it's happened, it has tended to happen more in the North. The clubs have been able to make that investment. And that then comes to another point, which is you're dealing with local government all over Italy with rap- widely, widely diverging ideas of how things um, should be done and can be done. You look at even Rome, which is a obviously a huge city economically itself, not a you know not a poor city, but the the realities of local bureaucracy there have prevented Roma under a succession of owners from getting from breaking ground on a stadium, even with significant money behind them. Um, and these things all contribute; they all contribute in varying degrees to just a, a, a I guess a a more complicated backdrop in which to to set up the sort of structures that you would like to. It's just it's just easier for the clubs in the north, and without 
societal change, some of those barriers are quite hard to dismantle. It's very difficult to follow up on that answer because it's <laughs> exactly, basically, I mean, there were just so many different points made. It is unfortunately a reflection of just real life and the best way to conduct business if you are somebody who starts in a corporate world or any industry is to do so in a place that's fertile already and 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 to do so behind let's say quietly the best way to do your business is quietly with nobody looking at you with no eyes on you and you can move as you please and it's much easier to do that in a big town than it is, or rather a big city than it is to do in smaller places where general wealth will be looked at will be investigated there's curiosity surrounding it um, and I think this is also a problem. For example, there have been some great, you know, Palermo, we talked about Maritio Zamperini. There was a lot of talent there. Um, they went through a great era of success and Palermo was a name that had some of the very best players from Barzali and Cavani to, to obviously Dybala that we've mentioned before. And they were allowed to prosper, but you needed to have a certain character in charge who could deal with some of the things that you have to deal with being the, the, the owner of Palermo. And I say this from experience because I was involved in discussing things with a consortium that wanted to buy Palermo. And you will not imagine the kind of hoops and, and, and the kind of leaps that you have to make and you're investing money somewhere. So it, it's crazy what they ask of you and what they want from you, which is something that when you are a big city such as Milan, you're not really, there is just so many different industries. There's so much wealth there. So you're not paying such close attention to what's coming in and which new millionaires arrived and which new owner wants to spend this much money. There's not so much curiosity surrounding every industry and surrounding every person. You are allowed to do your business sort of without so much attention, which is something you can't really guarantee in the South because obviously it's much less. So you have to go through a lot of hoops. You have to be a different type of character. And, and I think it's it's that much more difficult in all in all honesty for me, having realized what that would entail to be part of a consortium that would take charge of Palermo, than it would be say when Sampdoria is on the market and also looking for somebody to to buy them. It's much easier to go for that more money, sure, but there are certain things to be done in business where it helps when you are within and, and amongst like-minded individuals. And you can conduct your business without prying eyes. And this is something that even players have said, you know, it's different when Iguain was playing at Napoli and everyone would come up to him and there was this kind of community feel. There's beauty and it's a, it's, it's beautiful and it can be a curse. But also when he walks in Turin, nobody looks at him. He can do as he wants. Nobody cares. There's a million others before you. There'll be a million others after you. You are not special. You are ordinary. And I think that makes a difference as well. But I don't, it is also the luck of the draw. Um, and Atalanta, for example, are a team with a very small budget, but they have invested in their academy. They are, they are a team that believe in youth and in growing talent and using that as a form of revenue as well. Um, this was something that we saw Catania. Um, we saw in Cagliari. We've seen obviously in Palermo. It's more and more in the north because obviously, you know, generally speaking, if you are a wealthy owner or you do want to make your investments. They do generally do what happens in real life, which is it comes in the big cities. But I, I do agree in the sense that um, there's very little that the Federation and Serie A can do in general to help that um, other than, you know, 
things like Mancini or what Prandelli once did, which is try to involve other communities and make sure that everyone is being put on the map, which is generally speaking what FIFA and UEFA try to do sometimes when they give the World Cups to different areas and upset so many different people. But this is how you you put your name on the map. You guys, we were just um, today talking about um, you know, a separate recording about Maurizio Zamparini and uh, his legacy. And imagine we could have had Mina, the Mangialanatori, in Palermo <laughs> as well from what she's just revealed to us. You better believe everyone would be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> Last question for this week comes from Intertwined in Tampa, Florida. Well, Lautaro and Jekko have done well to pull Inter through. They've both been inconsistent throughout the, conce- the season and I feel like we need someone more clinical, uh, they write. What kind of striker do you think Inter needs this off-season given Jekko's not getting any younger? Vlaovic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're joking and I also was like, yeah, a little bit. Like, it's kind of exactly what they would have probably been best served by yeah i mean i mean <laughs> frankly speaking like when i was thinking of what the ju- honestly speaking more about it was interesting the backlash after what you know some of the fiorentina journalists or what they were writing in the local um press was saying because obviously i was really interested to see what the uh what the journalists in florence were writing after that loss to lazio whether or not they were going to mm. blame Vlaovic, despite the fact that vincenzo italiano was working so hard to make sure that that wasn't going to be an alibi for the team and what they were saying, and, and I wish completely agreed with, is that he's a tactical solution. He's somebody that can hold up play. He's got the physique. He's got the ability up front as a striker to work in open spaces, but to also bring others into play and also work in tighter spaces. So he is just like this one-stop shop, you know, your 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 technical your tactical get out of jail card. And he's He's awesome in his out as well. I mean, if you have awesome and you have average, then you never really need anyone else in your life if you're up front, you know? I mean, they are just two amazing footballers and attackers that just really have, that can combine efficiency with, with tactical intelligence, with perfect technique, and they make the difference. They make the impact and they have done so on a consistent level this season. And I think that is, it's difficult to find that. I think Lukaku worked perfectly within the dynamics and within the tactical identity that Antonio Conte laid out. He is the perfect Antonio Conte striker. And he made the difference because he was somebody that knew how to hold up play, that accelerated well, that worked well with the with the rest of the team. And especially Lautaro Martinez, I thought they had a really great relationship. Dzeko is a different type of striker in the sense that he gives more to the final third in terms of his feet. Um, and uh, in creativity, but perhaps not somebody that will bully your center forwards, your center backs. So I worry about Lautaro Martinez because it, it, there is so much talent there, but I, I worry whether he's a little bit like a Dybala, you know, the, these two players that have just such remarkable scope for brilliance that can do so much. And we know that because we've seen it recently for Argentina as well. But he hasn't scored in five matches. He had this also last season where he goes through a period of form in which he doesn't really produce the goods. So you're right in that. And this is what's going to happen with a lot of strikers, you know, like Dybala, like others that we've seen um, Immobile for, for the national team, although I think that's probably more of a tactical issue at times. 
where, you know, certain strikers won't produce the goods, but we're talking about the very best. And for the very best, you need a lot of money. So if I could choose, then yeah, Haaland, Osman, Vlaovic, certainly one of these would make the difference. But I think on the whole, this isn't really something I'm worried about. I know it's being written out a lot in the newspapers. You know, Gazette was moaning about the fact that you know, the two haven't scored together for four months now and one, you know, in a match. You don't need both of them to score in a match for them to make a difference. What is so beautiful about Inter is that they do have so many different goal scorers that they can punish you through the middle or on the flanks, that they do have players like Perisic and Barella and Brozovic and Chanoglu who can do things from set pieces and open play through the middle, out wide, um, you know, with a header or a perfect flick. I think what you need is variety. And it, it will happen that there are certain matches in which your goal scorers won't produce or they won't get that goal. But overall, the team is playing beautifully and we should have teams in which everyone takes part in the final goal. And we're not all reliant on this wonderful Haaland or Vlaovic or Mbappe or whoever it is you have up front. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I've had this before with um, with Lautaro where like I feel like people when he was first um, showing up at Inter, he got described a lot as a number 10. Yeah. Um, and obviously playing alongside Lukaku, he did take the deeper lying positions more of the time. And I think him, his partnership with Lukaku was a very good one. So that dynamic certainly can work. And so, yes, put him alongside uh, a, a classic number nine and, and, and I can see how that works. Having said that, you know, you alluded to Argentina uh, Mina and in Argentina, he almost always plays as the central uh, okay. point in a, in a trident, in a, in a three. And to me, he's always been much more a nine and a half than a ten. Like I don't, I don't see him as a number ten really. No, me neither. And so, part of me wonders if the answer to this question isn't you don't need uh, another striker at all. What you need is the supporting cast in attack that is not in front of him. Because even with Jacko differently interpreted to, to um, Lukaku, but still that's someone who leads the line and, and, and again, places back to goal instead of playing facing goal as much as Lukaku does, but is often the furthest point forward. What if Lautaro is the furthest point forward and what you're looking to bring in is someone to, to, to play behind him and, and to play off him and perhaps even uh, in a different setup to play, to play in the wide positions off him. I, I think, um, I think if you want to get the best of Lautaro, that might be the answer, actually. I think if you want him to become all that he can be as a player, I, I, I'm not convinced he should be the, the second man back. I think if anything, I, I see him further forward. But that becomes complicated at Inter specifically because then you go, okay, well, how does that work? Because Inzaghi likes back three and you've got your back three and you've got really, really nice wing backs right now that you like. So what are you going to talk about doing a three, four, three maybe or? Or, or, or something much more cautious with a three, four, one, one. I don't know. Like there's, there's, there's different ways of approaching it. So three, five, one, one. So do you think it's a tactical issue as opposed to, or do you think there's something there with a the mentality? Like he's not, is he somebody capable of leading the line all the time or will he feel the pressure? Is there something about pressure that gets to him? Or, Cause there is something on that level. Yeah, and we're talking about this in the week, Mina, when he um, uh, lost his head mm. badly at the end of, of Milan's game against Inter. So of course, that's in my head and that is influencing how I I think about this. But I do think when you look at 
I do think the evidence of the national team is important because Argentina were looking for so long for, for someone who could play up front with Leo Messi in the team. And it wasn't working. It wasn't working. And then along comes Lautaro and it worked all of a sudden. And look, he now plays games without Messi in the national team as well. And it still works. Um, so I, I do, I do think that is, um, non da putare in Italian. You know, don't chuck that information out. That's, that's more information we have about him as a player and what he can offer. Is his mindset perfect? Maybe not. Are there lots of examples I could give you of footballers and, you know, even specifically strikers who had mentalities that I didn't like, but who were still incredibly productive, uh, excellent goal scorers? Yes. I mean, Luis Suarez did some terrible things um, on, on the football pitch, but he was brilliant footballer. Um, weigh those up however you choose to, but... It's not really about his behaviour. I don't care about his behaviour, put that aside. Van Bommel was terrible on the pitch sometimes, you know. But it's about, does, can he provide the consistency from a mentality point of view or is he a little bit like Dybala where you see brilliance and then there's a drop and then brilliance and then there's a drop. You, you know what I mean? I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think they're quite different characters. And I mean, again, I, I, I keep pointing to this Argentina situation because Dybala was... Tavala never became much for the national yeah. team. He, he was always, a, not always, but largely a disappointment for the national team. Whereas Lautaro stepped into that potentially quite daunting setting and, and was successful really mm. right away. Mm. And I think you could also say that when he first showed up in Champions League games, at the beginning, he was right away very successful in that area. And I, I think he has perhaps like many, many footballers, he's can be a confidence player that can come and go. But I don't think he's, I don't think he's got that. Well, time will tell. I don't think I, I necessarily see that frailty in the same way with him. Well, it's like you said, time will tell. Um, and hopefully he'll figure it out because he really is such a great talent. But we hope you enjoyed this Serie A Chronicles Q&A. Check out our new website at seriechronicles.com to find the link to join the Chronicles 24C membership on Patreon to get access to exclusive podcast episodes and other bonus content. We'll keep them coming. Get your questions in on Twitter at seriechronpod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A or go to our website to email us or to send us a voice message. And we'll put the audio of you asking your question on the show. Check that out. Find both of us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Rizuki and subscribe to the Serie Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show, which is mostly me putting on my lipstick and arranging <laughs> my hair. And, you know, even though this is just a podcast, but leave us a rating and review. <laughs> on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as Nikki and I love to say, make sure they're all positive. Thank you for listening to this little episode and we'll be back on Tuesday. Ciao for now. <laughs> I'm exhausted now. <laughs> I thought that was a two hours yeah i feel like we went for it that one this time yeah really really Oof. sports social podcast network